Welcome to the next episode of the podcast on negotiation. And today we have a very special guest and a super exciting topic that we are both passionate about. Uh, with us is uh, Noam Ebner, a professor at Creighton University, who shares the same two passions uh, with me. And one is for um, theory and practice of negotiation and conflict resolution. And the other one is... Star Wars. So, no, I'm great to have you with us. Uh, thank you for your time. Um, what a joy. Words about yourself. <laughs> well, yes, but only in words. I had to leave the lightsabers and the, you know, the fighter helmets uh, at home, at home, off screen this time. Although it seems that you and I could uh, uh, could put on a very different show than the one we're about to. Uh, hi, uh, hi everybody. My name is Noam Ebner. Um, uh, my day job, I'm a professor at Creighton University in Omaha, Nebraska in the United States. Uh, I teach negotiation, conflict resolution, and, and other related topics. Um, and most recently, or for qu quite a few years now, I've been involved um, in a project together with my uh, uh, partner and co-editor, Jen Reynolds, from the University of Oregon School of Law. Uh, in putting together a project and more specifically a book on Star Wars and conflict resolution. And this is what we're going to be talking about uh, today. Thank you, Noam, uh, for being with us. Uh, uh, let us start. Uh, let us start with uh, with our first encounters uh, with the Force. Um, mm -hmm. So for me, it was the very first movie. Yes, uh, the Return of the Jedi yeah. was the very first movie I watched in the movie theater. And uh, it has uh, left a lasting impact uh, on me and my family. We, uh, my son and myself, uh, uh, we are very, uh, very big fans of, uh, of Star Wars ever since. Uh, what was it for you? How, what was your first encounter with, uh, with the Force, with the Star Wars uh, franchise? Well, first, let me start off by saying I love how Star Wars is now, is something generational. Right, intergenerational and cross-generational, yes. and I, you know, I had that same experience. I was four years old, and that this is the first time in a theater I can remember. Uh, it was in June 1977. My father took me to, me and my older brother to a a a a, a Star Wars. It wasn't. It was called Star Wars back then. It was before they named it a First Hope, right? So it was, exactly, exactly. And it was just like you're sitting there, and suddenly this this completely new and magical thing happens on the screen. And, and I have very vivid memory of this. Actually, I have very vivid memory of the second, second time I saw it. Apparently he took me again that same summer. We must have loved it so much. The reason I know it's my second time is because I vividly remember in that opening scene when the empire is, has captured Princess Leia's ship um, and they had, you know, the stormtroopers had come through and Darth Vader was about to come into the rebel ship, right? The first time you see Darth Vader. And I remember hiding down behind the theater seat in front of me because I knew who was going to come in and just how scary that dude is. So that's one of my earliest memories in life is of me hiding under a seat and Darth Vader walking in. So a traumatic, ex traumatic experience. Uh, um, and if you think about about all the series, the original trilogy, uh, yeah. the prequel, and uh, you know what Disney has made out of it uh, with J.J. Abrams' um, <clears throat> sequels, uh, yeah. um, do you have any 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 favorites among those? Oh uh, well, well, you know, first of all, I love it all. 
I don't, I don't get into, I don't get into the pre-Disney, post-Disney, the early, I, I, I just love it all. I'm in this for the story. I'm not in it for sort of the, the behind the scenes and the, you know, and, and there's a lot of conflict going on in the fandom and in all, I'm in this for the story. And while, uh, while there are things I might wish might've been done differently on sort of the production side, um, I'm not. I'm not here to second guess the story. I'm only here to to live with it and then think about it and you know and how it pertains to me and and lately how it pertains to our work. As a child, um, I always loved uh, The Empire Strikes Back the most. Uh, I, 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 what about you? Yeah, same. Uh, so I had. To, I have. To, I have two uh, favorite episodes. Uh, uh, so for, I didn't like so much the prequel prequels. Um, uh, to me, it, they were kind of. Um, uh, how do I say this? Uh, how do I capture it in words? Uh, I wouldn't say unnecessary because they explain, you know, why certain things, uh, certain things happened and how they evolved. Yeah. Um, but they were not as dynamic as the as the original trilogy and as um, as Disney made mm -hmm. the sequels. Yes. So, so um, I I do understand uh, their necessity, you know, to understand the the, the entire context. <laughs> Uh, but for me, it's Empire, Empire Strikes Back, and uh, and obviously as a kid, I love the Return of the Jedi with all the Ewoks, uh, and yeah. uh, and you know yes. the, the the happy ending of uh, of the entire of the entire what we thought, yes, what uh, we thought, right? And, and what a lesson that is, right? Uh, even just jumping, I know I'm jumping ahead, like to a conflict perspective, like if we're let's say we're, we're mediating conflict or we're, we're we're parties and we're looking at a conflict. And, and you know what we resolve then and there, it's only it's only a moment in time, and like for parties, they have their prequel lives, but they also have their sequel lives, and we don't really know if it's over. We don't really know where they go from here. You know, we don't even know. Maybe someone's building a third Death Star out there, and 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 we'll never hear about it. And and part of our job is to be able to let you know, be able to let it go, at least in the mediator role. Uh, and, and I often thought about that when the sequel movies came out, that suddenly everything is turned upside down again. And who knew, right? Yes, exactly, exactly. So uh, knowing Disney and uh, knowing that it's a for-profit organization, probably something something tells me that the, uh, there there might be a further episodes. Uh, so be it of the original uh, Star Wars series, or I know that Mandalorian, the third, I think the third season is coming up uh, uh, soon. So yes, uh, I think uh, uh, Star Wars are here to stay, so to speak. And and that's another important point. They're not only intergenerational, but sort of from the perspective of what we're going to talk about today. The fact that they're going to continue on for another generation is really, really important in the way it provides us with um, with characters we can relate to, with conflict scenes we can talk about, with different types of biases that sometimes it's hard to speak uh, about about it when we're looking at humans because then we're you know we're concerned about are we insulting someone are we um, but when you look at characters alien characters or people in other worlds it's really easy to point out oh look at what they're doing uh, and they don't suffer those earth biases uh, that we do and, and I just hope that Disney uh, or you know Lucasfilm or whoever uh, and fans <laughs> by the way I hope people keep putting out material I think that from a conflict perspective which we'll flip to soon I think the material is just getting better and better. Um, the Mandalorian uh, is such a wonderful uh, space for development of someone who's transitioning from a violent, 
you know, solve disputes through violence, to someone who learns to be relational, to someone who learns to talk through things, someone who learns to form relationships and, and teach others to form relationships. He's learned to mediate and he's teaching others to mediate. I can't wait till season three comes out. And the oh, maybe this is the way. This, this is, is the way. way. Absolutely. <laughs> so, Noam, um, speaking of characters, uh, any favorites there? Any any characters that, uh, I don't know. I know that uh, we know that uh, you were scared of Darth Vader. I think we all were as kids. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> it's, it's the age. Um, well, so so as I said, I mean, recently I, I am very much, uh, enthralled and interested in The Mandalorian and his development. As a kid, you know, I, I think, you know, both, I think like any boy of my age, particularly, I used to go back and forth between Luke and Han. Um, Luke in the sense of, you know, the, the hero of the show and, and the, you know, growing out of himself and becoming something ginormous uh, is, I think, something, um, is, I think, something we all want to do. Uh, can, you, can you hear me? I see I've frozen on screen. Yes, the picture is frozen, but we can. I can hear you very well. Uh, I can hear you very well. So, um, uh, so I, you're I, saying between Luke and Han? Well, first of all, I'd like to invite anybody who's now following with us and is in chat. Feel free to comment on how how ridiculous I look um, in that picture that I can see frozen on screen. Just which Star yes. which Star Wars alien character do I look most like? Uh, <laughs> So we have a contest. Uh, we have a contest uh, ongoing yeah. among our viewers. Uh, so uh, please compare, please compare Noam and myself to uh, to Star Wars characters. Yes, we're looking Absolutely. forward. We're Absolutely. looking forward to receiving your um, your 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 votes. Right now, I'm going to go to a, a slightly drunk Jabba the Hutt. Jabba the Hutt. <laughs> yes. Um, Yes, for me it was uh, it was I I, I I felt somehow I felt um, uh, attracted to um, uh, to the wisdom um, uh, to the wisdom of uh, of um, of Yoda to the wisdom of the of the Jedi Knight Council uh, right uh, somehow somehow yeah. I, I liked the aspect of uh, of of um, more more of wisdom rather than um, the ability to um, to fight, fight. yeah. And I also made that shift um, later on uh, as the movie kept coming out and I, I was, you know, growing into going into something. Uh, so I discovered that as as a teacher, I identify most with um, with old Obi-Wan, uh, not with young Obi-Wan, who, who was uh, uh, was was not was not was not a role model for me as a teacher and i hope not a role model for anyone uh but he, but uh, old obi-wan and, and how he treated luke uh is a wonderful role model um as a professional though as a negotiator uh, uh as at some point as an attorney uh, and in other ways um it was it was young young obi-wan Young Obi Wan, his his attitude, his his moxie, his abilities, maybe a pinch of Qui Gon and his meditative abilities. Um, and as I'm speaking, it it also strikes me that when I think of who I like, not necessarily who I identify most with, but who I see most as a potential role model for my kids, um, it's actually Ray. Uh, Ray, yes. why is that? Um, Think think about think about her character. She she starts with nothing, and it's very clear that she starts with nothing. And the thing that she seeks more than anything else is she seeks to learn. And she's proactive in going out and seeking teachers. And she 
and she doesn't take no for an answer when seeking out people who can who can who can teach her. She forms alliances really easy, particularly for someone who's so hurt and so scarred as she is. She still manages to form alliances, and 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 when uh, uh, even as she goes into a new world with you know, structures that she doesn't understand around her and all sorts of people, some of whom are legends. Uh, she, she sort of never loses her sense of self. It's pretty amazing because she goes, she goes around asking people like, who am I and what is my role in all this? And she's carrying it with her all along. Um, and I, I would wish, I would wish that, uh, I would wish that my kids, uh, would, would would take some of that. Would it be helpful if if I would you would drop me off the stream perhaps and then rejoin me into the stream? I was not. Uh, I, I guess I was not. I, I didn't dare to propose it. But let me let us uh, let us double check. Go for yes. it. Oh, it seems that the, now we lost you completely. <laughs> <laughs> Which is worse. Um, okay. I wonder if there's anything else we can do here. Uh, oh, there okay. you go. Okay, Perfect. I put on a different camera. Is this working? Yes, this works really okay. well. Keep going. Now we can see you. Perfect. So, um, you as a, as a as a Star Wars expert, maybe you can uh, you can help me understand um, or interpret uh, interpret the meaning of the Force. Yes. Uh, so, I think in one of the first episodes, uh, um, someone defines it as a as, as an as an energy field energy that field. Uh, that puts uh, elements of the of the galaxy together. So, I get that. Yeah? I get uh, you know how um, how you know the light uh, light side of the force can bring people <clears> together. But what I couldn't under really understand or interpret it uh, um, is the dark side of the force. Um, so, how can a, a dark dark side of an energy that brings people together um, generate? aggression, fear, fear um, you know, the need to dominate and so on. Yeah? So how, yeah, what is your interpretation of, uh, of the force? So, okay, so on so many levels, <clears throat> and I'll just toss out a couple. I mean, the first is sort of the, like, the simple level, right? The simple level is the theological level, you know, as, as, as crazy as that sounds. And, you know, obviously when, when George Lucas was intending this, so he was he was coming at it from the spiritual slash theological slash whatever his term for that would have been from his influences and how he thought about it. Um, and, and in that sense, when you think about, when you think about the, the theologies that humankind has created, you know, evil is always there. So in that sense, uh, in that sense, it's, it's not surprising. Um, and even the theologies that don't necessarily stress like the the struggle of the struggle of dark versus evil, uh, uh, of dark versus light, of, of good versus evil, evil, in sort of a mythological uh, 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 way that sort of set piece, good bad. Um, there's always the question of of bad and of evil, and why does evil happen in the world, right? Uh, look, I, I'm 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 Jewish, and the question of okay. Uh, you know, there's Judaism doesn't really split things up between the good God and the evil devil. No, th there's there's one God up there, right? And and the question, therefore, is okay. So, so if God is all around, and if God is 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 the world, then where was God in Auschwitz, right? Where where where? And that is a a a staggering the theological question. Um, 
you know, that has been a part of my life just as much and more, of course, than even Star Wars. And and so when coming to Star Wars, so the question, the question of how can evil play a role and be such a powerful force in it, uh, sort of on that theological level, it, it doesn't, it doesn't surprise me at no. all. Uh, there's something that's sort of naturally off in in the universe, and that is that is evil. But setting theology aside, when you think about it, sort of set set spirituality and only look at it as I sometimes do, uh, uh, particularly as I grow older, seeing the forest, let's talk less about the spiritual and, and how it connects everything in the universe and only think about connections between people, right? Um, and, and the work that we do and the ways in which we make this flow happen. Um, then, then we know that when we think about people and the good and the bad that they, that they do, we know that, that humans are able to take all wonderful things that this world offers us or that humans are able to develop and use them for really awful things. And, and so one great example, I do a lot of work on, uh, on online communication, online dispute resolution, um, settling disputes and, and negotiating uh, via the internet. And so a lot, of, a lot of that work has to do with, you know, how did humans take this out? amazing tool of the internet for knowledge and communication and turn it into a combat zone and a way to bash each other over the heads, just like with the first cave people and their clubs. So, so that, that is, uh, you know, on my mind, but the same is also true for negotiation skills. Um, um, you know, you can use, you can use negotiation skills for good and you can use them for great evil. And that's as, as writers and as teachers and as thinkers, you know, we we um, we carry a certain burden of needing to think of how we're teaching and how we're thinking about it, and and what our readers or what our thinkers are going to do with it. That's very real. That's true. Um, uh, thank you, Oba. Uh, uh, thank you, Noam, for for your take on this. Uh, uh, we got uh, very philosophical in terms of in terms of the yeah, Force I, Star Wars. I didn't see that coming. Yeah. <laughs> Um, uh, but it's good. Uh, so uh, now tying it closer to our field, which you have already started doing. Um, so yeah. how did this, how did you come up with the idea of uh, combining Star Wars and conflict resolution and negotiation? What was the triggering moment? Well, it was, I mean, it was it, in my first course, in my first mediation course that I took on this in law school. I knew, like, boy, I I want to write something on Star Wars. I mean, it was just, it was the the prequels were just coming out, and I, I was studying. It was it was literally when they were coming out. Um, uh, in 1990, uh, I, I started studying 1998. They started, words started coming, so it was very much on my mind. Um, and then when I uh, moved, uh, you know, and I, I practiced uh, uh, for, for a few years as a negotiator, as a mediator, and as I, as I uh, moved into academia, I, I said, hey, you know, I, every so often I'd say, hey, I want to write something on this. And at some point I said, yeah, you know what, but wait for the right moment. And of course, <laughs> you know, the right moment, the best moment is the moment after you have tenure and you can actually do whatever you want. <laughs> yeah, do whatever you want. And also um, know that this is the time at which actually you doing what you want is the best thing for you to be doing, right? For, for, for you, for the institution, for the field. This is, this is where you stop repeating things that you've learned from other people and, and just, you know, incrementally building tiny bits. And it's when you start, uh, uh, 
you know, spanning and, and going outside and, and hopefully contributing new things. Uh, and and so that's the that's the point at which it really became like I really want to do this. And then um, I uh, I started conversations uh, with Jen Reynolds, uh, uh, who, and and we quickly realized we both had these thoughts for a long, long time, and and we knew we knew in a moment that we were going to do this. Um, and we very solidly started planning this uh, four years ago, um, and. As we as as soon as we started speaking about it, we realized that that something had changed for both of us. That it's not just about doing it for fun, which would be the first uh, you know our first instinct was oh this is interesting and fun, but also that um, Star Wars is such a powerful um, everything, right? It's such a it's such a powerful story and it's such a powerful vehicle. When you think about when you think about the hundreds of millions of people who have seen Star Wars around the world. Over three generations, now starting a fourth, and maybe even further beyond, right? Uh, and who can talk about life, the universe, and everything while mentioning Star Wars characters, uh, dynamics, conversations, buzz, buzz, buzzwords, right? And what we were thinking about was, how can we use that as a vehicle for teaching the world at large more about conflict resolution and negotiation because, I mean, I, I teach whatever, 100, 200, whatever the number is, right? Graduate students a year. And if I do, if I'm doing training, so add a few other 100, you know, trainees a year, whatever the number is from year to year. But what about, one thing that all educators in this field say, and I'm sure you've said it yourself often, is everybody needs to know these things. Everybody, I mean, since the first moment you started learning it, since I started learning it, it's, I use this all the time and we all should know it. And so what about, you know, the rest of the 8 billion out there who are not going to enroll in my class and, and maybe even not in yours, right? Uh, what about them? So finding ways to spread this beyond our classrooms has been on my mind for a long time. Star Wars and pop culture more broadly seemed like such a, such a fit for that and that's that's what we're doing now yes uh, that's uh, that's that's awesome and uh, i wanted to uh, share a piece of news with our audience with the, with our viewers and listeners uh, that the book is out the yes. book is out uh, and let me share the link to it on uh, on amazon uh, here it is uh, in a way this is a worldwide premiere of the book Un unintended uh but happy accident uh as as bob ross would say this is um the book came out uh early this morning we got the notification from amazon and from our uh and from our wonderful partners at dri press at mitchell hamlin school of law uh the book is live on amazon we've been waiting for this a long long time and and, and i'm so happy i'm so happy to share this moment with you remy and I've already ordered my copy, so it's on the way. Uh, <laughs> you know the way. words that every editor and author loves to hear. <laughs> yes, I'm supposed. It's supposed to arrive on the on December seventeenth. So um, uh, it's probably printing somewhere on demand by Amazon. Uh, yes, uh, it will it will get to me very soon. And uh, very much looking forward to uh, reading more than just the table of content. Uh, yes, and uh, finding out more about uh, um, about the the connection between between these two passions of ours and yeah, the passions yeah. that we share. So uh, Noam, if you were to, if you were to emphasize, if you were to 
you know, pitch the book to someone who has no idea what it's all about. Yes. Uh, what is it all about and who should or why and who should read it? So uh, thanks for the opportunity because I, I need to practice this, I guess. And, and the, pitches are different. the pitches are different depending on who, who I'm speaking with because we, as I said, like we wrote this book for a popular audience, you know, for, for, for a general audience. We didn't write it specifically for practitioners of negotiation and conflict, for students of negotiation and conflict, or for academics in negotiation and conflict. Um, but but all of these groups will you know will find value in it. It turned out, and and we we uh, we saw that more and more as the chapters came together. So here's the thing: we didn't, we, Jen and I didn't write the book. We edited the book. We each wrote a chapter, but but we we uh, we wrote it together with 23 other colleagues, and there were uh, uh, there were 50 more colleagues and friends who proposed chapters that we were unable because we, we only had space for like one book and we uh, so far and we were unable to to so so many ideas came in and the book was written by people in many different voices and with many different ideas in mind so so it's anything written in that way is bound to be interested interesting just right off the bat it's not my opinion on star wars or jen's opinion on star wars no, there's, there's so many great minds involved. And writing it for a general audience means that we wrote it with very little jargon. And anytime we use jargon, we explain the jargon. Um, and we tried to explain it in a way that would uh, allow people studying and learning this jargon to start applying it in their own lives. So if you've read, if you've read a situation in which you know, Darth Vader um, is actually, you know, he's he's the most competitive person in, in, in Star Wars, and all of a sudden he's acting cooperatively, and he's employing interest-based negotiation, and you explain what that looks like, um, then all of a sudden it brings it it brings it to life, and in a way that readers can can understand interest-based negotiation, in a way that maybe they wouldn't even understand if you handed them getting to yes. Not, not that we're better to, than getting to yes. <laughs> Nobody can say that out loud in the negotiation world, but we That's can say that to a particular audience, they might get it better. If they think about that scene, um, uh, you know, the most iconic scene, right? The join me scene. Yeah. And you realize Darth Vader is negotiating with Luke to join him and join him to be his student and to join him on the dark side. And he's, and he's trying to speak to Luke's interests. He could... He could be competitive. He could cut off Luke's other arm, tie him up, and bring him back to the Emperor. But instead, what he says is, is, is first, he, he offers him affiliation and love, right? I'm your father. He assumes that Luke's been looking for this his whole life, so he's speaking to that interest. He says, I will complete your training, right? He knows Luke, he knows what happens to Obi, what, what had happened to old Obi-Wan Kenobi because he was the one who had dispatched him. So he knows Luke is probably looking for a teacher. So he speaks to that interest. And, and if, you, if you watch that scene, suddenly you say, whoa, that is interest-based negotiation come to life. And it's strange because it's a moment after Darth Vader just cut off his arm. I mean, it just cut off his hand. So it also gives you insight into the, um, how, we, how we need to interweave and often interweave competition and cooperation Right. together in a very real way in, 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 in getting what we want and in negotiation. So it brings that all to life without needing to use too much jargon. So that's a pitch, and I would make it a lot shorter to a, a, a general reader. To a general reader, look, you're going to understand 
Star Wars in a way that you hadn't understood it before, because we're going to teach you something a little about conflict and negotiation. You're going to you're going to learn something new about that, but you're also going to learn something that you can use in your own lives. Do I have a second? Do I have do I have a, a, another another minute for another two pitches? <laughs> if you if you if you if if you need, yeah, go for it. Because because to practitioners, I'd say look, um, since since we have you know so many topics. Uh, in this book, they go far beyond whatever the sort of basic training course in any field is. So if it's a negotiation, sort of basic five to 10 to 20 hour training course or a mediation 20 hour or 40 hour training course, um, or let's say one academic course in this, the topics in the book really go far beyond that. So even if you're a practitioner, a, a professional negotiator, or someone who negotiates for a living as a manager, as a lawyer, um, and even if you're a practicing mediator, it, it, we didn't start, but you will learn a lot of things that just weren't there in your initial training. And you do see them every day in your practice. And this will help name them and do this, do them better. I've had that happen to me with my own practice in, in working on this book. And finally, for for academics, one of the things that we had hoped is that when, when people start looking at, at Star Wars through our conflict lens, they'd not only come up with new ideas about, con about Star Wars, they'd come up with new ideas about conflict and about negotiation. And we saw that right off the bat. And there are several chapters in the book that really, really go where negotiation and conflict research ha hasn't really gone. Right. Um, just a really good example is is a chapter by Deb Sai uh, and her daughter Emily, who wrote about the Han shot first. Right, Han Solo shooting Greedo in 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 Episode Four, um, in what is a very pre preemptive uh, attack. Um, and of course, when George Lucas changed that scene so that Han Solo didn't shoot first. Then there was a whole fan controversy about the things because fans saw that as the essence of Han Solo's moxie, right? He doesn't he doesn't take risks; he shoots first. So it's a very big thing in Star Wars, and and you can look at that from a conflict perspective. There are so many ways to look at it. One way to look at it would be through a, a game theory uh, approach to when do you shoot first, right? We have right. we have we talk about when do we compete, when do we cooperate right off the bat, uh, this, this chapter that I spoke about looked at from a conflict ethical perspective. Under which situations in conflict is it ethical to strike first? And you know, most, most uh, uh, if, if you ask most conflict professors sort of, um, when is it right to be preemptively harmful to others? The answer would usually be never, sort of. That's the way, you know, we often think about these things. But there's more to be said uh, about about conflict and about ethics than just that. Sometimes, sometimes competition and in, in fact, fierce competition is, is both ethical and wise. And we, we need to understand that better because otherwise we come off as sort of a, a nicey, nicey field, just trying to, just trying to all get along, even when we should actually be looking at, at, at other things. There's a complete chapter there on a different chapter by by Elizabeth and and uh, Robert Spradley on when is it wise to escalate conflict, not just to live with conflict, but to escalate it, and how can that serve uh, proactively positive uh, uh, purposes? So there's a lot of new happening uh, in conflict as a result of looking at it through Star Wars. Okay, I'll stop pitching.
<laughs> Thank you so much uh, for uh, for this uh, for, for for this information. I'm so much looking forward to uh, receiving and reading my uh, my copy. Um, but now let's uh, let's let's dare a thought experiment. Yes. Uh, let's imagine let's imagine the galaxy far far away gives you a call and says, "Well, uh, Noam, you've led a council of." Um, conflict management experts uh, for four years. Uh, now your task is to advise one of the party or both uh, mm. on uh, whether it's possible to resolve the conflict that is uh, um, that is emerging. Yes? In other words, mm -hmm. was the war preventable? And if yes, what should have been done that wasn't that uh, that wasn't uh, in order to you know, um, to uh, to end the war or stop it before it emerges. Now, for a moment, I went there into a, into Machiavelli mode, thinking, "Oh, wait, if I'm going to advise the prince," and then I remembered, I thought of um, this book by by uh, a, a lesser known book by Roger Fisher and Andrea Schneider. Yes, but there, that's the first book, but the second book <laughs> uh, by Roger Fisher and Andrea Schneider and um, Elizabeth. I'm sorry, I can't remember her last name, uh, which was called Beyond Machiavelli, uh, which is about how can you take these notions, particularly notions on, on interest-based negotiation, but other notions from the negotiation field, and use them in an advisor role to the people who are, who are at the table. So, wow, uh, what a trip. Um, so I think in that sense, one thing I, I, one thing I think of is that I'm not sure that parties need us to help them because some of them really get it. And I, I, I immediately thought of Padme saying, this war represents a failure to listen. And, you know, th that is one solid, good interpretation of both the war and also of what needs to be done in order to, in order to do a better job with it. So, that, uh, so she says that, I think, in, in episode three. In the Clone Wars, we see her actually make, we see Padme Amidala actually make uh, efforts to listen. We see her traveling to the separatists and, and you know, just like sort of like Sadat going to Jerusalem and meeting with Begin and speaking to the Knesset. We see the same thing with her going to the separatist parliament yes. and speaking with them. So, and she went there to listen. So that's sort of the first thing that came to mind. A second thing that comes to mind is to point out to leaders that use of force, it, it's always a slippery slope. You will always be, I mean, you see this throughout the, the prequels. Um, so this, in the second and third movies, and of course throughout the Clone Wars, if you say, well, I'm just going to use force as a counterforce and just to beat them just enough until we can get in control of the situation again, there's a slippery slope and it will often, often snowball. And this is, I mean, this is what, uh, uh, you know, what happened in the Clone Wars that it was, you just couldn't extricate yourself from the situation. There was no peaceful way out. It's what happened to America in Vietnam. It's, it's you know, what in different ways. It happened to Russia and Afghanistan. It happened to, to America and Afghanistan. It's happened in all sorts of different ways. Um, there, there's, there's, it's really hard to have just a small galactic war. And, and I think um, the third thing is, you know, things, things seemed really simple uh, when you watch the first three, the old, the original trilogy, like there's this side and there's that side and there's a war. When you started watching the first uh, trilogy, the prequel trilogies in the in the late 90s and early 2000s, you suddenly realize that 
actually the parties that you thought were the parties here really aren't the parties at all. There's something going on behind the scenes in which uh, that, that makes you understand that the manipulations here are greater than the plot. And that actually nobody can speak to anybody in a helpful way because they don't know who the real counterparty would be in. And here I'd like to just mention a, pro a, a, a project that's going on uh, nowadays, just in the past uh, couple of years. It's called Project Sheshat. It's led by Chris Honeyman, who's led projects in the negotiation field, uh, Andrea Kufer-Schneider, who's, who's been his partner in crime in most of these uh, projects, um, and, and some others, of a consortium who are getting together on this. And it's looking at what they call hybrid negotiation or hybrid warfare. What happens when in all of the ways that in which you're negotiating with another party, but what's really happening is that there's sort of an invisible party behind the other party who is, who is benefiting from you thinking that you're in a, a, a real negotiation, um, and they're pulling strings in a way that's harmful for you. So just as a quick example, if I'm negotiating the sale of, I don't know, a computer, computer parts to a purchaser in Europe, and, and, but I don't know that this purchaser in Europe is really being manipulated or is being controlled by a world power who doesn't do business with my country, but is but really wants these computer parts. So I think I'm speaking with just another schmo who took a negotiation course just like me. But behind the scenes, there's something far, far, uh, uh, you know, more either manipulative or uh, use your own words. There's something else going on. Yes. How can we get better at recognizing, identifying, and countering that? and dealing with that through a negotiation framework. So this is an ongoing project that I think would have been really, really helpful right there during episodes two and three and during the Clone Wars. It could have you know, blown the cover off over all of what was going on and maybe, maybe saved the Jedi Order and the Republic. That, was, that turned out to be an answer. Yes, exactly. Andrea was a, was a guest of ours uh, here on the podcast uh, oh, cool. two, weeks, two weeks ago. We spoke about uh, gender differences, but... Uh, um, yeah. But um, um, <clears throat> uh, we spoke also uh, briefly about uh, about her project on um, oh, hybrid hybrid warfare yeah? Yeah. Uh, that she's doing with Barney and uh, Barney Jordan and, and uh, Veronique. Yes, yeah, and Veronique. Yes, exactly. So uh, I think we have time for about two more questions before we need to uh, uh, before you need to run. So um, the greatest leader and the greatest negotiator. Let me squeeze it into one mm -hmm. in a gap in a galaxy far, far away. Uh, who would you uh, who would you uh, recommend? Um, I would I would recommend I would recommend Padme. Padme. Overall, I would recommend Padme, and I would recommend her both both in negotiation and uh, <clears throat> and and in some ways in leadership. Although in leadership, if I had more time, maybe I'd speak at greater length. But uh, Padme is no stranger to using. Uh, competitive tactics or to packing a gun when necessary. But it's not her first go-to move. It's never her instinct. It's always as necessary. She thinks before she does it. And, um, and she, she brings that to all of her interactions. And it's especially challenging because especially as, as she becomes closer and closer to Anakin, who, who, you know, he, he, his default is always his lightsaber. She still manages to retain 
<clears throat> to retain who she is um, and try to affect Anakin. Not very successful in the end, but she did try and and bring that to him. Um, and when you see how she how she brought that as a leader, and combined that uh, and combined her leadership abilities, um, she she was always with her people where the danger was. She always led from the front, which is I mean general leadership principles um, that pertain here. Um, but she also was always careful to check in with her followers with her people and consult with them. You can see this in the way she, she consult her, her handmaidens and, and other Nabulians uh, in the scenes in a way that some of the other leaders in Star Wars didn't. Think about the Jedi. They led from the front. The Sith led from behind. I mean, the, dark, the, the Imperials, they're always sitting in their armored walkers and, and, and adats uh, usually. Uh, but the Jedi led from in front, but they didn't check in with the people who were with them. Think about Order 66 and how that happened. Uh, it yes. happened because they, did, because they didn't turn around often enough and check in. I mean, it happened for other malevolent reasons, but like when you boil it down to a lesson, th they could have checked in more. And Padme always did it. And just as an example of one of the most wonderful negotiations she led with all this was the way she was able to to reach that treaty with the Gungans um, when, at the moment when they both needed each other to fight against the, uh, the droid army, the separatist army that had conquered their planet. Uh, the Jedi had tried to resolve that, uh, that, um, that conflict early on in the movie with absolutely no success. They tried Jedi mind tricks, it didn't work. They tried negotiation and mediation things, it didn't work. Padme just did it as a leader and as a negotiator. So it actually worked that you asked that both of those questions at once. <laughs> great to hear that. And if we go down to earth uh, or back from the galaxy far, far away, uh, the greatest negotiator that comes to your mind, Noam? That's I, a difficult. I, I, don't, I don't have a direct answer because I, I, I always try when I think of who's a great negotiator, I try not to jump to the usual examples. And, and that's a problem because the usual examples are usually, I mean, if you'd say like Abraham Lincoln is like, or, or Nelson Mandela, and all of them are right. Um, but instead, when I think about it, I think about people who's inspired me, not necessarily as, you know, in formal negotiations, <clears throat> but in scenes that are close enough to negotiation character, uh, situations in which they manage to remain centered and focused and on, on target, much like I said before, you know, Qui-Gon being centered in, this, in the middle of conflict and meditating and still managing to, to maintain who he is. And two, two people who come to mind right now, the first is uh, Christina Blassie Ford, who, who maybe some of, the, some of the audience doesn't know. This was the woman, a, a woman who testified against not testified against, she testified in Congress, in the Senate, uh, uh, at the confirmation hearings of US Supreme Court Justice candidate, Brett Kavanaugh, four years ago. And she stood up uh, uh, in front of, of the Senate and, and spoke about how Kavanaugh had sexually assaulted her many years ago. And if you can picture the scene, if you haven't seen the scene, um, it's like a, a droid army came at her, trying to shoot her down. Um, and and in in a hundred different ways of power moves and shutting downs uh, that that we experience as negotiators anytime we're working with a, a competitive counterpart, only all at once 
and for days on end. And she maintained herself so grounded, so centered, so simple message, and being able to project this against a wall of, uh, uh, you know, a wall of, of counter moves. It was just inspiring as, as a negotiator. And the other who really comes to mind at this moment is, is Vladimir Zelensky. Uh, who, who both as a leader and as a negotiator, I, I, I can't get into the details, but it seems to me that he's, he's being very wise with regards to forming alliances, which re requires so much negotiation, uh, both direct and indirect. It requires really intentional matters of timing. He's in the midst of a deadly conflict, and he's choosing his moments for when he intends to engage Russia about this. And it seems to me that he is thinking very, very strategically about when he is going and how he is going to do that in a way that will be most at the, the in the most opportune way for his people. Um, in a way that we often don't see leaders thinking so strategically about that. So I'm both inspired by that and also really looking forward to seeing what, what develops. Hopefully, I mean, I say hopefully soon in the sense, just like anyone would say, I hope the bloodshed ends. But from a conflict and negotiation uh, viewpoint, I hope he's very strategic and, and successful in choosing the best moment to do this, honestly, for all parties involved and for all of us. Yes, absolutely. Thank you, Noam, for sharing uh, sharing your wisdom with us. Uh, it's been great having you with us. Uh, congratulations on your uh, on your book. Uh, I look forward to reading my call, receiving and reading my copy. And until the next episode, may the force be with you. May it <laughs> be you with so you right back and with uh, uh, everyone who joined in here. Thank you so much. There's enough force to go around. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much. You guys take care. Thank, Thank you. Take care.